Father in heaven, thank you for this day which you have made. Thank you for your word, Lord, which guides us, directs us, and teaches us how we ought to live. Father, we just sang that we believe in life eternal, in the virgin birth, in the saints' communion, and in your holy church. And so help us today, Lord, to focus on that topic of your church, Lord, and how precious your church is to you, along with each of the saints that are the believers within it. Help us to understand what it means, Lord, to be the body of Jesus Christ here on earth and the way that we are called to operate in unity in the body of Christ with one another. We know that you love us and that you love your church. And so, Father, we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your seats, church. Church, I'm honored to be able to uh, be here today and to open up God's word with you. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. And so if you have your Bibles, turn there uh, with me now. And as you're turning, so again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. But as you're turning, I want to share with you uh, a remarkable story that I actually heard this past week. On February 22nd, 1918, there was a young baby boy born in the town of Alton, Illinois, and that's a small town near St. Louis, Missouri for, in the United States for those that have been there. Now, this baby boy, he was a healthy eight pounds, six ounces. But little did his mother know that in over six months, this boy would weigh over 30 pounds. And that's double the size of an average six-month-old. Now, the boy continued to grow. And at 10 years old, this young man was a whopping six foot five weighing over 211 pounds. And then finally, at 22 years old, this young man weighed in at 440 pounds and stood eight feet, 11 inches tall. And some of you know who I'm speaking about. It's none other than Robert Wadlow, the tallest man to have lived in recent recorded history. Now, if you visited Niagara Falls, uh, there's a place there called Lundy's Lane, and there's a Ripley's Museum that's on the main street over there, and you'll see a life-size statue of Robert, and he towers over absolutely everything. He even makes the seven-foot Shaquille O'Neal look small. Now, you see, Robert was so tall because of a small pea-sized organ behind his brain. It's located in the base of the human brain, and it's called the pituitary gland. This small, tiny, unseen part of Robert's body controlled the release of growth hormone into his body. And because it functioned unusually, it caused his entire body to change tremendously. And so why, why do I share this with you? Well, you see, all of us, uh, we may not be eight foot 11, but each of us can easily relate to the understanding that even if there is one small thing wrong in our body, our entire body gets affected. Whether it's a migraine or a toothache or whatever it is, our entire body can come to a grinding halt if any part of it isn't working well. And so in the same way in today's text, the Apostle Paul, he writes to the church of Corinth and he uses this illustration of the human body as a picture of all of us in the church. Paul shows us here, he says the church isn't just a physical building. It isn't limited by the four walls that are here. The church is a living entity. It is the body of Jesus Christ. 
And if you've trusted in Jesus, then as a believer, you are part of this body. The body, along with all of its parts, must function together in order to work well. And so what's the big idea? Our message is titled today, One Body, Many Members, and the main, the main point of today's message is unity. And so if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, we're gonna see four aspects of unity that scripture says we should see in the church. Uh, church, would you stand with me now as we read God's word together? Let's stand as we, as we read. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Church, you may take your seats. So let's start off today by understanding our context. The Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, and this refers to the people of the church of Corinth, and it's a Roman city of Corinth. Corinth was an incredibly diverse city. There are people from all different economic backgrounds, financial backgrounds, so sociological backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and it was considered the melting pot of the ancient Roman world. And so the city had many aspects of both Greek and Roman culture. The city was divided into classes, primarily based on wealth, and the wealthy, the successful, would lord their power over slaves in the lower classes of society. And many of the Corinthians were also known, sadly, for their sexual immorality, along with the worship of many, many false gods. And so let's just say this, the place was a mess. Now, sadly, some of these worldly mindsets had carried their way into the church to some degree, and so looking at Corinth was, in some ways, looking at a mirror of any major metropolis city of our world today. And you, if you can imagine, in the midst of all of this, the Apostle Paul founded the Corinthian church, and that's spoken about in Acts chapter 18. Paul writes to these believers in Corinth, and he wants to address the ways that they are failing to live out their identity in Christ. The Corinthians are looking down upon one another, they're divided, fighting with each other, and they're often boastfully displaying the, the gifts that they have been given and competing with one, another, with one another, excuse me. And there was much division in the Corinthian church. So in light of this, aside from the book of Ephesians, 
The letter to the Corinthians, both of the letters, have the most to say how we, the church, ought to operate and view one another. One commentator says this. He says, if the book of Romans and Galatians make it plain that one is not saved by the law, then the letter to the Corinthians makes it equally plain that the saved are expected to live out their lives in radical obedience to our new identity in Christ. As believers in Jesus Christ, the church must be a community where the gospel manifests itself, resulting in unity in the way in which we operate. And so this is what the Corinthians had failed to understand, and this is why Paul writes to them. And so if you look at me on the screen here, our first point today is this. Christ's church must be unified in our salvation. Again, Christ's church must be unified in our salvation. Let's look again at verses 12 to 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So in verse 12 here, Paul is making a very simple analogy of the church. He is relating the church to a human body, a living organism that works in unity with all of its parts. Christ is the head of this body. And we know that because if you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Scripture says that he, Christ, is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And so scripture makes it clear that Christ is the head and the only head of this body. The head controls, commands the body. And in the same way, we are commanded by Christ. There's also only one body in Christ. There aren't 10 bodies, there aren't 15 bodies, there aren't 100 bodies, because if there were multiple bodies, then there would be multiple heads. And so we see this pattern in the New Testament. There are local gatherings or local members of the body of believers, those who gather together to worship. And we see that the body of Christ, though, is the universal church as well, and that's church with a capital C. All members of the body are connected to our one and only head. And so Hope Markham here today, That's our small C, church. But the capital C, church, or the body of Christ, that's found in Markham, in Mississauga, Manitoba, Florida, India, Ghana, Nigeria, Israel, Iran, the Philippines, you name it. It's all over the world where people have trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so there's one body with many members, and we're all unified by Christ as our head. Now, we need to understand this. We might have unity in Christ, but this is not just a sentimental sense of unity. You see, our unity has to be based on something. And so Paul goes on. Look at verse 13. He says this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. And so let me ask you this question, church. How do people have unity with one another? Is it a common goal, a common task, a common identity? When you're with your colleagues at work, why are you there? I mean, you're you're likely gathered there for a specific unified goal, the success of the company you work for, or at the very least, the paycheck. Or if I tell you that my wife and I are unified, what are we unified by? You see, I'm unified by my wife, by my love for her, but even more so because of the covenant that we made to God together on our wedding day. 
You're unified with your sports team because each of you have a desire to win the game. Or you might be unified with your friends because of a com common memories or personalities or something. But you see, the point is this. Unity is always based on something. And so if you look at verse 13, Paul says that our unity is based on one spirit, the spirit of Christ. And so that means that unity in Christ's body is with those that have been indwelt by the spirit. And that means being saved by faith through Jesus Christ. You see, unity in the church requires salvation. The body is made up of believers in Jesus Christ. If someone denies Christ, or if there's a person or a church that preaches a different gospel, they are not part of the body of Christ. Scripture calls those who preach a different gospel apostates. Galatians 1, chapter eight to, or Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 to 9 says this, If anyone preaches a gospel different, then let him be accursed. And so there's a movement today, and it's, it's been around for years, and it's called the, the ecumenical movement. And essentially what it believes is that everyone of all religions can somehow get along because more or less, you know, we all believe in the same thing. Friends, scripture makes it clear that is not true. This is not the case. There's only one way to heaven and that is through Jesus Christ, the son of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so our unity is based upon our belief in this. I want to say this, church, is that unity without truth leads to false religion. Again, let me say that. Unity without truth leads to false religion. Now, secondly, Paul uses this analogy of the human body to represent the church here on earth. But we need to understand this as well, that the body carries agency. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that while Christ is the head the body is the one that carries out his will here on earth. For example, my mind controls my body, but my body is, by the, is the agent by, by which my mind does what it wants. You see, my mind at late in the evening on a Friday night might really want that ice cream that's in the freezer. But my mind has to control my legs to walk to the freezer, and then it has to control my hand to take the ice cream out, and then my mind has to control my, myself to eat it after the kids go to sleep. But the point is this. The church is meant to carry out God's will here on earth. And you can't carry out Christ's will if you don't know who Christ is. You see, my, my hand can't work if I don't know where the head is or if it isn't connected to the head. And so that's why unity in the church must require salvation. You have to know who Christ is and be connected to the head in order to be unified with the body, to carry out the head's will. Now look back at the text with me. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. The Corinthian church was guilty of this. They were guilty of segregating people. There was much internal division and strife. It was based on people's backgrounds, wealth, status, whether they were slaves or free, Jews or Greeks, which typically didn't like one another. And Paul says this, they were all made to drink of one spirit, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And basically what that means is this, they are all equal. There's no class division in the church based on your race, your cultural heritage, your background, your financial status, or anything of the sort. The Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians, he says to stop that sort of mindset. He says that's absolutely foolish. 
in Christ, we have a new identity. Before I'm a Canadian, I'm a Christian. Before I'm poor or wealthy, I am a Christian. Before I'm of Indian ethnic descent, I am a Christian. Before I'm a doctor or an accountant or a customer service rep, I am a Christian. You see, our identity is in Christ first. I'm not negating our cultural heritage or the jobs that we have, and nor, I, nor do I believe the Apostle Paul is negating these things. But in light of our new identity in Christ, all these things are essentially worthless. They no longer define us. All are unified in the body of Christ by partaking of the same one spirit. And so there should be no divisions among God's people based on any of these things. And so dare I ask you the same question today. Here at Hope Markham, are you putting culture or status over Christ? Is there anything that wrongfully gets in the way of your fellowship with other believers? Or do we segregate people in the church based in your mind of how they dress or how much education they have or what type of job they have or where they live? We're reminded by these verses not to forget that all have been baptized into one body by one spirit and that our our unity is based on the reality of God saving us alone. We are unified in our salvation. Now I want to move on to the second theme of our text. Look at me at verses 14 to 20. The main point is this, Christ's church must be unified by our diversity. Christ's church must be unified by our diversity. A long while back, sorry, I'll tell this to you first, church. A long while back, I became fascinated in the way in which world leaders have secret service teams that protect them whenever they're traveling. And so oftentimes, the, uh, the president of a country would have a team of people around them dressed in black suits, and sometimes they would even have people wearing plain clothes who are, out, who are secretly also part of that security team. So as I looked into this further, I found out that a lot of these people, or most of the security team, would be wearing Kevlar jackets. And for those who don't know, Kevlar is the material that they use to create bulletproof vests. Now when they make these bulletproof vests, they use these specially made laboratory fibers and they are all interwoven together in different directions. You see, they have to interweave in all of these fibers in order to make them an effective bulletproof vest. If all of the fibers were the exact same and they were laid out in just one direction, then the vest is actually unable to stop bullets. It's through laying out these fibers in different directions and in different ways that you then get one of the strongest materials on the planet. It's so strong that Kevlar is used in space travel, military vehicles, and of course in bulletproof vests. And so what's the point of this? The point is, is that diversity is a part of God's plan for us. We are all interwoven in the church in a variety of ways. The church has unity, but not uniformity. And so in verses 14 to 16, the Apostle Paul says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You see, each of us, church, has been given a diverse array of talents, gifts, skill sets. We don't all have the same giftings. The Lord hasn't raised up a clone army of the same type of people in his church. 
each of us are different. And the body of Christ has a unity that requires this interwoven diversity, much similar to the Kevlar vests. You see, there, there was a sort of spiritual elitism that existed within the Corinthian church. And this was based on their spiritual gifts. And sadly, sometimes you see this even today. Within the church, we can give too much credit to people whose giftings are maybe more visible or get, and give little to no credit sometimes to people whose gifts or acts of service are more unseen. People may believe that those who can preach, teach, or sing are somehow more gifted than others, but this is simply not the case. That is a false belief. Paul reminds them that they are no less a part of the body than any other. If you look up just a bit earlier, the Apostle Paul said this in verses 4 to 7 in the same chapter. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so we've each been created differently to glorify God with the gifts that he has given us. God is the one who has given the gifting to each of us. The Corinthians were so focused on each other's gifts that they actually forgot that it was God who is the one that does the empowering. Friends, if you today walk by our children's program, I believe you'll meet some of the most truly gifted and talented children's workers and teachers that are here at Hope Markham. Others here have been gifted with musical ability. Others have the friendliest and warmest welcomes as they serve on the welcome team. Others are gifted with financial resources or gifts of hospitality or hosting gatherings in their homes. See, each of us has been gifted with different gifts, talents, and abilities. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, it is simply foolish to say that because you don't have X, Y, or Z ability that you aren't a part of the body or somehow lesser. You might be the most talented speaker on the planet, but you may have absolutely zero ability to serve on the worship team or to be a youth leader or hospitality and so forth. And so the point is this, we ought not to be looking to others, but we need to recognize that God has given us each of the unique gifts and services and activities for the common good. We just need to simply use what God has given us. We need to keep our eyes on him. Now in verses 17 to 20, the text goes on to say this. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so if you only had one member of a body, friends, you wouldn't have a body at all. I want you to think about it this way. One of my sons, he used to love getting Lego. That was one of his favorite toys and he would love getting that as a gift. And he would open up this, these new Lego toy boxes and he would speed through putting them together. But what if every single Lego piece in the box was the same? Or what if the box only had one piece in it? It would be worthless. And so that's a simple example, but it helps us to visualize that, I, that a body requires diversity in order to function. Church, I'm thankful for each member of our body here. Some of you I've heard are, are passionate about evangelism. And you've shared the gospel with every single person at your workplace. Or some of you go downtown on Saturday nights to hand out tracts. There are others here that excel at gifts of service, creating meal plans, dropping off food for those in need. 
There are others that wake up early in the morning who have detailed prayer lists and pray for others in our church. There are others who have hearts for the brokenhearted and sacrifice a lot of time to meet with people who are grieving or going through difficult trials. You see, the body of Christ must be unified by our diversity in these giftings. We are one body unified, but we are unified by our diversity of giftings because this is God's design. It's his blessing for the church. And this is what the Corinthians fail to understand, but what we need to understand today. And so we've seen our first two points. Christ's church is unified in our salvation, unified in our diversity. But now let's move on to our third point, which is this. Christ's church must be unified in our humility. Christ's church must be unified in our humility. Let's read verses 21 to 24. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Church, we need to understand that the Corinthians lived in a culture that were obsessed with honor and status. And so Paul, when he says this here in verse 21, that the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, he's actually drawing another illusion here. In Roman culture, the eye and the head were actually used to speak about individuals who were highly esteemed. And the hand and the foot drew a parallel to those that would have been in the laboring or working class of slavery. And so he's addressing Corinthian culture and he's reminding the church not to consider themselves superior to those of less visible giftings, but also to those of a supposedly lower class or status. You see, we each have equal need for one another in our different roles. And we're all also equal in value before God. Paul shows us that we ought to be looking in humility to honor one another. God created a purpose for each member of the body. So one member cannot say to the other member that they do not need another. I don't know if you've had this happen to you, but sometimes I've had people, they've, they've come to me and they've said, hey, stay me here. Did you know that uh, this celebrity is a, is a Christian? Or hey, did you know that, uh, that this movie star is a Christian? Do you know that this uh, former WWE wrestling champion is now a believer? Friends, no one's salvation is more meaningful than another. We give praise to the Lord for salvation, but everyone is equal before God. Paul goes on to say this, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. He's saying that we cannot use our human rationale to put any judgment on those that seem lesser or weaker to us or seemingly less significant. Instead, we ought to live in humility. We ought to care for each part of the body, seeing every member as valuable and worthy. I once heard a preacher say this quote. He said this, there's no such thing as, great man, as a great man of God. There's only weak men who serve a great and merciful God. And so whatever you think makes you greater or more gifted than someone else, if you do, that's wrong. And likewise, if you think that you're somehow more inferior than someone else because you don't have the gifts that they have, then you're also equally wrong. 
We aren't called to look for celebrities here at the church or in the greater Christian community because there are none. We are all just men and women equal before God. And it's often the parts that are unseen that allow the whole body to work together that deserve the greater honor. And so next time you hear a great sermon, don't just thank the preacher, but go over, thank those that held the crying babies over in the nursery or the toddlers all through the service. Thank those that work in hospitality that serve in the background. Thank the production team, the tellering team, all the unseen people. Or in the universal body of Christ, pray in thankfulness for the many missionaries whose work we will never see on this side of heaven fully. Or the scholars and Bible translators who are working hard behind the scenes to spread the reach of the gospel. You see, we are to live in humility, giving honor to the unseen, to the seemingly lowly. Philippians chapter 2 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. And so you see, church, God values the lowly, the unseen. God values humility, and that's the example that he has set for us. And so Christ's church must be unified in our humility. Now this brings us to our very last point for today, which is this. Christ's church must be unified, resulting in harmony. Christ's church must be unified, resulting in harmony. Let's look at verses 25 to 27. God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Church, God's design for the church of Jesus Christ is that there is no division in the body. The Corinthian church was divided, and so therefore they didn't equally care for one another. But Paul here in these verses, the Apostle Paul says that if someone is suffering, then we all suffer. If someone is honored, then we all rejoice. And so our unity in the church must result in this outworking of harmony in the way in which we all live together. There's an intricate harmony in the way in which we all need to care for each other here at the church. Now I wanna remind you of this. The body of Christ is the church across the whole earth. And so when we hear of needs in the church, it's not just Hope Markham. When we hear of churches who are asking for help to spread the gospel in other countries around the world, do we turn a blind eye because it seemingly doesn't affect us? When we hear of Christian persecution, is that just another statistic to us? Or do we pray for these brothers and sisters? Do we send resources over to them? Now don't forget, when one suffers, all suffer. These are brothers and sisters who are in need of your prayers and help, all part of the body. And so we must be aware of this. We must serve the body. This plays out for us locally as well. Christ's body is in Scarborough. It's in Durham, York region, all over the GTA. And so do we have true care for one another in the body of Jesus Christ? When we hear of struggles, trials, or things that other churches or ministry-based organizations are going through, do we pray for them? Do we send them help? You see, we are one body. And so let's go back to the Little C Church. That's Hope Markham, 
You see, it's too easy on a Sunday sometimes, and I'm guilty of this as well, to see the same person for years in the worship center or the lobby and still not know their name because we're in a hurry to leave or we're too nervous to say hello. It's easy for all of us once the service is over to go gather in the same cliques to say hello to the same people that we see each week. I want to share a story with you, church. This is quite remarkable. A while back, uh, we had a gentleman come into our church. And the first time he arrived, he sat down in the lobby. And in the lobby, someone noticed him sitting alone and went over and said hello to him. Now, the friendly hello in the conversation, it caused this man to return for his second weekend in a row. And again, on his second visit, he sat in the lobby. And now, at this time, someone from the welcome team went over and said hello to him and had a conversation with him. The man then returned a third time, and he kept on coming back. And eventually, he contacted the staff team to learn more about what it means to be a Christian. And over a few months, he heard the gospel multiple times, and he eventually accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And then subsequently, he was baptized here, and he even joined a men's group here at Hope Markham. Now, I spoke with this man recently once again, and uh, he's connected in fellowship, and he's even studying theology in his downtime. And he told me this. He said he had visited many churches, and this was the first place that he came where someone noticed him and said hello and actually cared about who he was, even though he was sitting in the lobby alone in that day as a stranger. He didn't know anybody here. Friends, a simple hello in the, to a stranger in the lobby was instrumental in changing this man's eternal destiny. I want you to meditate upon that. And so friends, I have a call to action for you today. When service ends, look at the person beside you or behind you. Ask them what their name is. Or if you go to the lobby after service, it's not just the job of the welcome team to say hello to people. If you see a new face or someone you don't recognize, just say hello. If you see a need in the church, it's not just the job of the staff or the current volunteers. It's yours. This is the local gathering of the body of Christ, a member of the body. And God has called you to walk in harmony with the body, to be a contributing and integral part of this body. Paul says this, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, in verse 27. And so you see, our world today, it's, it's obsessed with consumerism. It's always thinking about how we can receive. But the body of Christ is actually concerned with how we can give. That's how we live in harmony with one another. Fairly often, I, I teach the step one class here at our church. And that, that, that's a class for newcomers. And sometimes people will ask this question to me. They'll say, hey, Mihir, I'm, uh, I'm looking for a really good community, and can you give that to me over here? And I always say this to them. I say, I'm sorry. I can't promise you a good community here. You see, we have a great community, but I can't promise it to you. Why? Because it, de it depends on you. You need to be a contributing part of the community in order to make it what it is. If you don't show up to small group regularly, if you don't engage with the other people in church on Sunday mornings, or if you don't engage with people in your small group, then we may have a great community at Hope Markham, but you won't find one here. And so the church of Jesus Christ is a place where you must contribute and receive. It's not just receive. The parts of the body must function together in order to work well. And so as we conclude, I have three 
quick applications for you today, church, depending on where you're at. Firstly, if you're here at Hope Markham and you're a regular attender of this church, I want you to ask yourself the question, how can you serve one another? If you aren't plugged into a small group today, then I would implore you to get plugged in. If you aren't serving today, I would implore you to use your gifts, serve others in the body. If you aren't praying for the church, whether it's our church or the church universal, the missionaries and believers around the world, I would implore you to pray. We are each a part of the body of Christ. And so we need to be connected to the body who is connected to the head, which is Jesus Christ. Church is his idea. It is not man's idea. Secondly, if you're here today, but you aren't connected to this church or any church in any way, or maybe you think this, I'm a Christian, but... I don't like the church. Or for some, maybe you're a floater and you attend every Sunday wherever you please or, or float online or maybe you haven't stepped into a foot, or you haven't stepped foot, excuse me, in church for the last two years. I want you to know this. An organ disconnected from the body will eventually die. Even when doctors do organ transplants, there's only a very limited period of time in which an organ can stay disconnected from a body. You see, in order to be connected to the head, which is Christ, you must be connected to the body. God doesn't give us the body to harm us, but in his wisdom and out of his love and out of his care for us, he knows we need each other for our common good. And so I would implore you to settle down somewhere and to get plugged in if that's you today. And then lastly, if you're here today and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to understand this. The gathering of God's people does not end here in this life. You see, all the other communities and clubs and activities and gatherings that occur in this world, they're going to come to an end. But the fellowship and the gathering of the body of Jesus Christ will continue for all eternity as we fellowship with one another and with the Lord himself. You see, every believer in the church came at the greatest cost to God the cost of his one and only son. And by turning from your sin and accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you can be a part of this body. You can be a part of the fellowship here, both now and for all eternity. And so church, let's remember that today. Let's look to him, our head. Let's stay connected to one another in the body of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me now as we close? Father, thank you for your church. You paid a great cost for us to be adopted into the kingdom and to be fellowshipping here today like this. As we saw from your word, Lord, your desire is for us to be unified. And Lord, what a great encouragement it is to know that you build your church and you help us in this. The church is not man's idea, it is your idea. And the fellowship of believers here in unity, that's at the very heart of your plan for us. And so help us, Lord, to serve to contribute, but also to receive and to be blessed by one another. Help us to love one another, to care for one another, to rejoice with one another, and to weep with one another, and to carry each other's burdens. We pray, Lord, that you would be with all those here, and with all those across the globe that are your hands and feet for the sake of the gospel. So, Lord, help us to be unified today. Help us to love each other so that the world would know that we are your disciples and your body here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.